Hey, everybody, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Preacher Boys podcast. I make this show for you, and I hope that you really enjoy it. I have a lot of people that ask me how they can support the show financially, and you can do that by heading over to patreon.com slash preacherboys. You're going to get access to exclusive content, including early releases of episodes. I've got a couple episodes right now that have been released at least a month early over on Patreon. You've got access to things like unique merch, depending on what tier you join, and you get access to some behind-the-scenes content that I'm posting within the group. So head over to patreon.com slash preacherboys and become a member over there today. Every single supporter helps make this show a little bit more possible, especially as I continue to add additional episodes and content every single week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's get back to the show. Hey, everybody. On today's episode of the Preacher Boys podcast, I'm sitting down with Kathy Durbin. Kathy is a survivor of abuse at Faith Baptist Church in Wildemar, California, at the hands of Paul Fox. If you haven't heard Kathy's story, definitely listen to the past episode where we discuss just that. I'll put a link in the show notes. It is a really powerful interview, and we're going to get an update right now from her court appearance this week, uh, just this last Friday on uh, end of April where she kind of talked through giving her victim impact statement and really the shocking twist and turn of events that happened in the courtroom. All right, guys, let's get into the episode. Trigger warning. This podcast contains descriptions of various abusive situations. Listener discretion is advised. You are listening to the Preacher Boys Podcast, a podcast shedding light on decades of mental, physical, and sexual abuse within the independent fundamental Baptist movement. The testimonies shared on this podcast are told from the personal experience and perspective of the survivors. Not all legal outcomes are known or final. Any suspect is presumed innocent until proven guilty in the court of law. To find more information about the Preacher Boys podcast and upcoming documentary, visit PreacherBoysDoc.com or connect on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at PreacherBoysDoc. Now, here is your host... Eric Skwarzynski. All right, Kathy, welcome back on the show. And thanks so much for doing this. I didn't want to bother you and reach out to you to to talk about this just yet, but you you messaged me and and we're up yeah. for it and and really appreciate you kind of updating everybody, filling us in. And you mentioned right before we hit record, it can be confusing trying to figure out what's going on with the court system, where we're at in all of this. So um, can you just give us a little bit of a just look at the last few days, what's been happening with, with your story. Yes. So um, what was supposed to be the sentencing on Friday turned into kind of a reset button to where we're going back to a preliminary hearing. So I'm going to start with actually what happened in January. In January was a preliminary hearing, which is basically they do a tiny bit of a trial. They, bring in enough witnesses to on the stand under oath question until the judge finally decides, yep, I don't need to hear anymore. That's enough. We're going to trial. It's basically the DA's way of saying, showing that there's enough evidence to to set a trial date. So that's what we are doing in January. I was prepared to testify. I was there. I had traveled from Montana to California and the defendant decided to see what was on the table as far as the deal from the judge. 
So they had made several attempts to get a deal from the DA's office, but the DA's office said, we're not giving you a deal because of the nature of the crime and your position of authority. There's no deal to be had here. So they were not willing to deal with them, but the judge can come up with a deal. So this particular judge, we had not been in front of at any time because it had moved towards a trial. We were assigned this new judge, Mark Mandio. Um, And so I wasn't super clear on what had happened other than when the defense decides to go see what's on the table, it's the DA and the defense attorney going into chambers, which is closed. Nobody hears anything with the judge and the judge, from what I understood, the judge looked at the charges and then read a few things and listened to the DA and the defense argue their points. And then he came up with a sentence. His sentence was up to one year in jail, which would be decided Friday, um, two years of probation and registered sex offender for life. The DA came to me and when the defense went to tell the defendant, this is what's on the table. The DA came to me and said, this is what's on the table. How do you feel about it? And I said, well, I think a minimum of a year in jail. I said, if, if he got a year in jail, I'd be like, okay, that's something. But if he gets six months, I'm not going to be happy. So if there's this big window, how am I supposed to decide? And he's like, well, it won't be decided until sentencing. And part of that is based on your victim impact statement. And I'm like, I guess, yeah, but I, I really want a year in jail. He said, okay, that's what we'll fight for. So they went in again, but into chambers. And that's kind of the deal that happened that day is up to one year in jail, two years probation, registered sex offender for life. Now, keep in mind, I'm there ready to testify. I did not sleep for like two days because I didn't know what I was going to be asked and I was going to be under oath on the stand. But you quickly have to change gears because that's just how court is. You, you, you're not in control at all. As the victim, you are not in control of anything. It's the defense. They kind of get to decide when to continue something or to go through with it. So, um, but the DA, my DA, Jerry Fall, had very clearly several times said, you know, the victim impact statement is where you get to say how this has affected you. You will be the most important person in that room that day. Like this is you pleading to the judge. And he, and then he even told me about a case where the judge gave the person the full sentence. I took that to mean the full sentence that he could get. Apparently what he meant was the full sentence within that deal. So I went into Friday thinking I could somehow persuade the judge to give him more time than a year up to a year in jail. That is not apparently what he meant, which a lot of that is just nerves and you're in court and things are changing quickly and you're trying to grasp these things. And even though they give you time to think a little bit, you do have to make a decision right then. And I was going to say too, and you've never done this before. So you're learning by doing the process, you know, so there's a lot that's going to slip by and, and you're not going to know what to do with certain information and things like that. Yeah. You hope you're getting what they're giving you, but sometimes, you know, you just miss a word or you misinterpret what they're saying 
because your mind is going one direction. So I went into Friday thinking maybe I could persuade the judge to give him more time. I did not realize that up to a year in jail was the cap. Right. That's what was he was going to debate that day or whatever. Well, prior to going into court, we we went into court, we sat down, and the judge wanted the DA and the defense. And they go, whatever, because I'm with my my victim advocate, as well as my husband and some people. And so um, when they came out, my DA said, let's go outside. And I'm like, oh, great. What's happening now? Like, this was supposed to be it. This was supposed to be the day this ends. We went outside and he said, the the judge has now had a chance to look at everything, including now they've gotten the probation report, because Mm -hmm. that is something that was done after he decided to plead guilty in January. Well, the probation report said that they recommend prison time. Really? That wasn't even on the table for the judge, right? That's not even part of his deal. It would have been state prison. Now there is a thing with state and federal prison. Like apparently they, to the court system, federal prison is much harder than state prison. I look at it like you're in prison either way. I mean, you're in jail. What sure. difference does that make? But to me, they, they weigh heavily on if you get prison time, which I, again, I really don't understand why that's such a bigger deal, but Um, it is, it's viewed as a heavier weight. So before even starting court, the judge told the DA and the defense that deal that I gave him in January, I'm retracting because that was not enough time after looking at all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And I kind of felt that way in January. Like we've never been before this judge. This is the first day he's supposed to hear anything and to make a sentence. Like it, it seemed kind of unfair. Although I had Jerry in there fighting for me, yeah, it, it still seemed a little, I don't know. They weren't in there that long, like not long enough for, to go over every detail. So, um, so it was interesting Friday that I went in expecting that maybe I could persuade him to give him more time then finding out, no, you can only persuade him to give him a year. And then before it even starts, he's already made up his mind that that wasn't a good deal. Mm. So that was kind of cool. But at the same time, it was like back and forth. Back, like, it's just your emotions are all over the place right. and you're ready for one thing and something else happens. So we go outside. We're talking to him. He says, he says that's he's retracting that deal. And in that same meeting, the defense said, OK, how about 16 months in prison? And. So the DA, the judge asked the DA, like, well, what, what's your number? What do you think? And he's like, we're not going to, I'm not, I'm reluctant to give you a number because we were never giving him a deal. Our office was not giving him a deal. Hmm. So I'm not going to tell you if that's okay or not. So the defense goes to talk to his client. Um, I am out with Jerry. Jerry's telling me all this stuff has transpired. And I said, oh, well, what's on the table then? Cause he says is 16 months good for you. And I'm like, well, I don't know. What's, what are my options? And he's like, well, you don't really have, you can't, it's not a back and forth. It's either we agree and make a decision today or we're back to a preliminary hearing. And I said, well, I mean, can I say two years? So that he actually has to serve a year in jail because remember mm-hmm. 
any sentence they get, they serve half of that in jail. And he said, no, there's like really no back and forth. And I said, all right, well, and he said, I don't want this to persuade you like either way, but keep in mind that because of COVID, if we go to trial, it won't be for two years. And I'm like, two, okay, no, 16 months is fine. I'm not doing this for another two years. I'm done, done. Let's end this physically, emotionally, mentally. I need to be done. So today, 16 months, I'm good. So um, I guess apparently the defense had to kind of twist Fox's arm to take that deal. He didn't mm. want more jail time. And it meant like two or three more months in jail. It wasn't that much difference. But so we go back in, they tell the judge, yep, we're taking that 16 months in federal prison. And um, every judge runs their courtroom the way they want to. So whether you give your victim impact statement in, in the beginning or the end or the middle of all the procedural stuff, it's up to the judge. Okay. So we get in there, the judge comes out, they call court to order and he says, all right, let's do the victim impact statement. I mean, I'm like, oh, okay, I'm up. <laughs> so I get up there and I knew there were parts of my victim impact statement that I was going to cry through. I, the first sentence in my victim impact statement is my name is Kathy Durbin and I am the victim in this case. I cried saying that, like, I couldn't even get through the first sentence. And I thought, oh crap, you know, like, I, I don't know, this is going to be way worse than I thought, but I get through it. And I, I think I stumbled here and there, but I, it was fine. I mean, it was like 10 pages long. So it was, <laughs> I said a lot, mm. but I, I, and I said in my victim impact statement, I said this to the judge, I said, I do not understand how you are allowed or are, are required to make a sentence without hearing me, without hearing what I'm about to tell you. And I basically walked him through like the environment that we grew up in, how these people were, had so much power. We always had to obey without question, like that whole thing. And then, um, so at the end, so I go sit down and he like stops court and is like, I want to see you in chambers. Like they leave. Well, I'm with my, right in front of me is my investigator and my, my um, victim advocate. And I'm like, what is going on? And he's like, he's like, um, my, my, <laughs> my investigator said, well, that's cause you're a badass warrior. That's what happened, you know? And then the victim advocate is like, I think cause you did your job, like your victim impact statement was powerful. And mm -hmm. now he's reconsidering even the deal. And I'm like, what? Well, Jerry, my DA, right before he went in there, he walks over to me and he says, you still want this to end today, right? And I said, well, yeah, uh, an hour ago I did, but right now I could go to trial. I feel pretty good. You know, I had finally gotten to say my piece. Like mm. you are, you give your, you, you talk to an investigator and you tell them your story and you file your police report. You are never then heard from again. Like nothing is on record from you. They do their investigation. That part's that part. You are going through this court system. You're just showing up when they tell you to show up or you just find out, oh yeah, it was continued or like, you're just along for the ride. You do not have a voice in that process. Now the DA will ask your opinion on stuff, but they're doing it. It's not you getting to fight for yourself. It's, it's them kind of fighting on your behalf. Mm. So 
Friday was the day that I got to get up and talk to the judge myself. He got to hear directly from me. And I still, I'm 45 years old. This started when I was 15. I still can't talk about it without crying. To me, I think that in itself is powerful that hmm. 30 years later, I am still that impacted by it. Um, I worked hard on my victim impact statement. I really said what I wanted to say. And I felt really good when I was done. It was hard. It was super hard to do, but it was very empowering. Hmm. Like I felt very heard and very validated by the judge because yeah. he didn't even have to think about it immediately. When I was done, he was like, Oh no, 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 this isn't a good sentence. Right. So they went in chambers, they came out and basically um, it's continued because um, the defense said, well, fine, I'll have my client retract his guilty plea. And because he wants to cross-examine me. Right. Um, and that the judge did say that in court, he said, you know, this, this wasn't under oath and there is no cross-examination today. So we're going to go ahead and set a preliminary hearing. And that will be in the end of maybe at the end of June, it's supposed to be June 25th. It may be the beginning of July. Um, because the defense is, is saying the judge is saying, this is not enough time. Now that I know the extent of what happened, the grooming, the, all of that, this isn't enough time. You deserve more time. Um, so the judge kind of sided with me, you know, I did my job, I guess, with my victim impact statement. He says, this is not a harsh enough punishment. However, the defense has to make his client look good. So he also put on record that he's having his client redact his guilty plea um, because he's saying that my statements that I made on Friday do not line up with recordings he had. And I was like, what? Well, I asked the DA about that afterwards. I'm like, what was he talking about? And he said, the argument he made, I guess, in chambers <clears throat> was that I yesterday painted it as he said, the way I said it was that I was like forcibly raped. Hmm. And he said this whole time she has said she loved him and it was a relationship and all consensual. And so what I said to the DA was, hold on. I even said, I loved him in my victim impact statement. I never said I didn't love him, but I loved him as a father figure. Hmm. And I've always maintained that. And I did not use any words like forcible or violent or anything like that. So he said it's literally just the defense trying to defend his client because the judge and the DA saw it my way. I did not change my story. He's just, you know, he's being a defense attorney. I he's guess. doing his job. Yeah. What it amounts to. The thing that really annoys the heck out of me is when an article came out. He, um, I'm going to, I'm going to quote him because I think it's important to get it right. Um, he gave a, the, the man that did the article, um, interviewed me and he interviewed several people. Obviously they were there in court. This is what Gretch, I forget his first name, but Gretch is Paul Fox's defense attorney. He said, she said she was in love with this man and that all the sexual encounters were consensual. 
Gretsch said. She said she was heartbroken when Paul left the church and she didn't get a chance to say goodbye. Okay. That is totally false. And I do not understand how a defense attorney is allowed to make up stuff like that. And to me, that's victim shaming. And that makes me so angry. Like I read this article and I was like, what? I was in love with him as a father. And it was consensual in that it was not forced, but it wasn't consensual in that this was a relationship, like he was a boyfriend or something. And I had said in my story, and I've said it several times that, yeah, I was mad. He got to just leave. I wanted to talk to him. I wanted to tell him why I told Bruce Goddard what was going on. And I did not get the chance to do that, but he's taking it out of context and saying that I wanted to continue this relationship or something. So I don't know. I I was really irritated that that, you know, he's, he's allowed to twist things like that, but I do understand in the big picture, he's a defense attorney and he's defending his client and it's his job to make sure his client looks as good as he can look in this situation. Which is so very, I understand that part. <laughs> right. It, right. Whatever though. I mean, that did really irritate me, but, um, so how I feel about it is I feel very heard and very validated by the judge. He heard me. He understood this was worse than what everybody tends to gather from just the, the court and, um, you know, the verbiage they use and stuff. I felt like he really heard me because he immediately pulled the deal. So in that sense, I got a lot of closure on Friday because I think that's what every victim needs. And, and you know, every victim needs someone to say, I hear you. And that was awful or that shouldn't have happened or, you know, just be validated in their feelings in some way. I got that. And I got it from a judge. Mm. Um, And so I, that feels very, very powerful. Now in the 30 seconds, maybe that I had to decide if I really wanted it to end yesterday versus continue and go to trial. I said, yeah, yeah. A little while ago. Yeah. I wanted to end, but right now, yeah, I could go to trial because I felt really good. I felt like I had been heard and I had gotten all of that off my chest. Right. Um, So in those 30 seconds, when you get to decide, like later, I was like, "Mm, should I just have let it end yesterday? Like, you know, but in reality, you're not in charge. The DA is not even in charge. He can get what you want. And he could have gone into chambers and fought to end that yesterday or Friday had I wanted to. But ultimately, it was the judge's decision. And the judge still could have said, nope, sorry, this isn't enough time. So you think you kind of are in charge of making decisions or you, your, your opinion has sway, but it doesn't necessarily ultimately it was up to the judge. And I do, I do feel like I got the closure I needed being validated by the judge. Hmm. So even though, um, this isn't over, <laughs> um, and you know, now we start back over at the preliminary hearing it's not starting completely over. We're going straight to the preliminary hearing. And then that day when that's done, they will set a trial date. I'm not sure this will go to trial. I don't see, I think it's going to take the defense attorney cross-examining me and then they will ask for another deal. 
because I can't, I just can't see how you would risk going to trial. Everyone that hears my story and hears the details goes, uh, you know, like, I don't know. I mean, I could be totally wrong. Maybe he's just buying time. I really don't know. I'm not the defense attorney, but I don't think it will go to trial. I wouldn't want this to drag out for two years, but I'm okay. Either way. I feel like I got the closure I needed on Friday. Yeah. That was the, that was the big question that was looming in my mind. And, uh, it was a mutual friend of ours sent me a text because she was watching the the live, uh-huh. the live video of it playing out and said, Oh, he's getting 16 months. I just got off a phone call and I like looked and I was like, and I instantly I was going like good, but also 16 months. And you know, all those things that always yeah. go through your mind is, you know, and I honestly, I can't, we've talked about this before. I can't imagine hearing a time frame where I'd be like, Oh, that feels like enough, you know, but it, it, yeah. You know, I, I sat there, I got that. And then I got another text a few minutes later saying, oh, he just called everybody into chambers. And I was I was like, what? <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. It just seems out of flow yeah. with little I know. And yeah, my big question mark, and it was why I was glad you reached out was, you know, how does Kathy feel about this? Because I, I feel like there's, I feel like there's probably a lot of mixed emotions. There's probably a lot of feelings of obviously wishes had been taken care of you know, years ago, but also I think it's, I think it's incredible that it's getting a second look because this is the opposite of so many of these stories, like hearing a judge even take those steps to, to rethink a deal or to really listen is, is pretty encouraging, but I really do appreciate you sharing kind of your perspective on it because I was, I was curious and I, I didn't want to presume that you felt one way or another. So it was good to hear it in your own words. Yeah. I definitely in January felt like it wasn't enough. Like you weren't in there long enough that this judge knows anything about this case. He obviously has read what the charges are and he's heard from both of you, but I mean, he came out and called it a relationship. And so I was like, what the, what's going on? Like, so I, I really did not feel good about January. So yesterday before we even started And he changed it to more time, made me feel really good. But then also in my victim impact statement, I had kind of called him out on it. Did you get to read my victim impact statement, Eric? Yeah, I did. I I read through the the entire thing and it was really, really powerful. And it laid out a lot more than I even even expected. (laughs) That first part. Yeah. That first part where I called out the judge on calling it a relationship, like I kind of felt bad getting up there and saying it still after he had changed it before we even went into court. You know what I mean? Like he had already given him more time because he felt bad about that, about that, not about calling it a relationship, but about the time he had given him. So I did make the comment before I started that, um, your honor, I wrote this before you changed his sentence this morning because I felt like I'm going to spank you in a minute, you know, for what you said. And mm. I felt like, uh, but you did correct it. So, right. um, yeah, so I, I was a little hesitant to still go through with that, but I did it because I still felt that way. I think words are important. They matter. Yeah. And the verbiage you use is matter. And so, mm. but I'm, it, I do feel really good. I feel really good about how it played out. I feel extremely validated. And I think that Although they always say, I've heard this multiple times, that the defendant actually being taken into custody, like watching those handcuffs be put on and him, him being let out of the courtroom in custody is some a, a type of closure that a lot of victims need. And that seems to be like the powerful moment for people. I felt like I got what I needed on Friday. Mm-hmm. 
Mm. Like, I think that would be nice to see, but what really seals my, my closure, the judge. So Mm. I feel like I got a lot of closure. Obviously it's not closed completely, but I feel like I got, I got enough closure that I can, I think move forward with healing. Yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. And yeah, being, I mean, be able to share your story like that, being able to be in a setting where people have to listen to it, where Paul had to listen to it, you know, like that's, that's, I think super, super powerful. The one thing that surprised me is how much you mentioned Goddard and his involvement, which I was surprised because I thought he would get a mention, but I was surprised how much of a detailed mention and I was happy about it. Mm -hmm. Um, But I, I think it did a really good job. What I saw in the statement was like, all the layers of how this happens. And I think that mm-hmm. being laid out one, it's really helpful in this case. Cause it shows like how much of a doorway that Paul had, but obviously right in the grand scheme of things, it shows how much, like when you listed out all the different cases that have happened, like the principal that left previously, you talked about Victor, you talked about like, it was just this crystal clear picture of all these different cases. Um, as far as the, um, as far as the Goddard side of this goes, um, do you have any do you have any sense that this is going to be bigger than this case? Do you think that it's going to help push anything else along? Can you still not say anything about I any will, of that? I will say this. Okay, so this whole time I have pushed the issue of Goddard mm-hmm. because while I am getting personal justice, there's victims of faith Baptist church that are not going to get justice because of um, statute of limitations and things. And then the other part of that, that's big to me is that there's still a huge opportunity there to have victims created because nothing has changed at that church. The rule that adults are always right, even when they're wrong is still a written rule. And if you want to call the police about something, you still need to go through the pastor. That's in the whistleblower statement. Like there's, there hasn't been changes like effective changes to keep kids and minors safe there. So I feel like, I think because I was able to get, find my voice, I guess, stop being silenced after 30 years. I feel like it's my job now to take that voice and protect other potential victims. Right. So I have pushed hard about Goddard. Like, are you taking a look at Goddard? And I've really been kind of stifled by the DA at this point, like one thing at a time, we got to get Fox first. Like, and I understand all that, but being that Friday should have been my last day coming to California for court Thursday, I met with ADA Cabral. So he is Mike Hestron is the DA in Riverside County, but Cabral is the ADA right under Mike Hestron and he's over Southwest Riverside County. So I made an appointment with him and I, uh, I did an outline with pictures saying, Hmm. this is the history of faith Baptist church. This is what's happened, how many victims there are, how many pedophiles there are from there. And are you going to look into this? Like, are you going to investigate and charge him? They never make you promises. And that's fine. I didn't want one. I did want them to tell me 
yes, we're going to look into this. And the overwhelming word that I heard from him was, this is disturbing. Mm. Like, I think everybody knows now that there's been some victims and two perpetrators and, but there's a much bigger picture there. There's been far more than just my story and Rachel, April and Leah's story. Um, And so I just, I wanted them to be clear. This is bigger than just my case or their case. And I think that meeting was sufficient for that. He Mm. got it. He got that this is not good. And so I feel good about that. I feel like I used my voice to try to prevent victims. Now, obviously COVID has um, changed some things, but they take buses everywhere. They take them to Temecula, Mm -hmm. Paris. Like we're not just talking about the little town of Wildemar. We're talking about the whole Valley. Anybody that goes to that church is in danger of being abused as a minor because Hmm. of the culture that church has created. And I, it's a cult. It's not a church. It's a cult. You have one leader that everybody and everything has to go through. That is a cult, not a church. And so like, I just, I knew I could not live with myself. I would not be at peace if I did not make that appointment and give it my all to explain the environment and why this is a problem. And I felt very heard by ADA Cabral. I felt Mm -hmm. like he, he heard, he understood, and now they're looking at it. And so, yes, I was promised that there is going to be an investigation and they're going to look at it. There is no promise of charges because obviously they have to find a way to do that. But yes, I needed that. I needed that for me. I needed that to know that I may be protected future victims. Hmm. So yeah, that's all I can say about Goddard because I mean, we're still suing him civilly, but that's like for past damages, right? Yeah. What is anybody doing to prevent, prevent future victims? I felt like I needed to do that, make that appointment and, and have that conversation. And I did, and I was happy with how it went. So yeah. well, I don't you know what do. will come of it, you know? is raise raise your voice and hope that the right people take action. And, you know, unfortunately, sometimes it feels like it takes a long time for that to happen, but it's exciting when it it does, does, you know? Yeah. And that was probably my one regret on Friday after it all came. I'm like, Ooh, not pushing this to be closed and him just be taken into custody. Did that delay them looking into Goddard? But then one of my friends said, no, because an investigation will take time either way. So I'm like, yeah, that's true. Okay. And the, and the more was, severe was... his sentence, the more it's going to look bad on a guy. Right. You know what I mean? Like yeah. if he's, yeah. he had somebody from the church that did, you know, six months for a misdemeanor, you know, it doesn't look as bad as if there's a felony charge with, you know, several years right. laid out. Right. Um, I, I guess the last question we can kind of end on here is, for those that are that are following your story, and and obviously, I mean, even with Faith Baptist of Wildemar, whenever there's a victim, you know, there's there's usually more. And we've talked about this before. Yeah. Like, there's you know, whether we're talking about Faith Baptist, whether we're talking about the Independent Baptist movement, whether we're talking just society in general, there's probably people listening and following your story who are have questioned pursuing this route, have questioned going into and pursuing justice in this kind of forum. 
what would you say to someone who maybe feels discouraged or is considering jumping into this kind of legal battle in a case of their own, like what words of encouragement would you give to them? Who's about to follow in, in your footsteps? I think 100% contact one of us victims because Mm. we will walk you through it. We'll be with you. We'll stand with you. I made a comment on Facebook the other night. Someone, someone said they're also a survivor of sexual abuse and, you know, they were just saying that, you know, they appreciate me putting myself out there and my victim impact statement and stuff. And I thought what struck me is it always feels good to find another victim as sad as that is like, it's like the sisterhood that nobody ever wanted to join, but you're glad you're not alone. So I feel like you just need to be heard and you need someone to come alongside you and say, I'm going to be here with you through this. You can do this. You've got this. Let's make this right. Let's Mm. get justice for you. And so I think that reaching out to a victim, especially those of us who have gone through the court system or are moving through the court system, it's helpful to have someone that has walked that road before. Right. So that's what I would say is like, reach out to one of us on Facebook or email or whatever. We will help you through it. We'll Mm -hmm. let you know. And I'll let you know the down and dirty, like the parts I wish we didn't have to do. And the parts that were great. And the parts that were like, eh, because it's a process like the court, it's not always an easy process. It sucks. Some days like waiting months. I mean, look at we're he's supposed to be sentenced on Friday now have to wait like two months. So like, that part stinks, but it's worth it. It really is worth it. And every victim that comes forward gives another victim the courage to come forward. Mm-hmm. So I would say, do it, just do it, contact one of us and do it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for, for sharing an update and uh, not letting me make a fool of myself by trying to navigate all of the, <laughs> all of the legal conversation, everything. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for jumping on and uh, I'll definitely link to your statement for people to listen to or, or to read um, yeah. and, and definitely hear what you had to say, because I think it's really powerful and I'm, I'm really interested to see what happens over the next few months. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Preacher Boys podcast. If you appreciated the content on the show, please leave a review on iTunes and don't forget to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at Preacher Boys Doc. Additional information can always be found on PreacherBoysDoc.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.